0: I have an irritating habit. You say, wait a minute, an irritating habit? Okay, maybe I have more than one irritating habit, but I'm only going to admit to one of them this morning, and this is it. I leave multiple internet tabs open on my computer. Usually anywhere from 30 to 40 tabs are open, and this irritates A lot of people. So if someone asks me, may I use your computer to get online for a minute? I respond, yes, of course. You are most welcome to use my computer, but if you say one word about the number of tabs I have opened, I shall take my computer from you and you shall never use my computer again. That's a true story. But here's some good news for those who are annoyed by my habit, I closed one tab this week this tab thank you thank you this tab has been open for over a year because this tab led me to a quote that i've been waiting to use for over a year and today is the day the quote is from the puritan thomas watson who says the angel fetched peter out of prison But it was prayer that fetched the angel. You know the story that Watson is referencing. The Apostle Peter was arrested for preaching the gospel. They delivered him over to four squads of soldiers who put him in prison. They chained him up between two soldiers. Sentries guarded the door. Both Peter and the gospel, they believed were tightly and inescapably bound. But that night, an angel came into Peter's cell, woke Peter up, and said, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off of Peter's hands, and Peter, with the gospel, went free. Luke tells us in Acts 12, So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church, so you see it is true. The angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. In many ways, you and I look around the world that we call home, and it seems to us that the chains are wrapping more and more tightly around the gospel and around those who seek to proclaim it. More and more, what we believe and what we profess out loud is being silenced, canceled. It's even now becoming common to refer to it as hate speech. And you and I want to loose those chains, and rightly so. But how are we going to do it? What methods do we think we should employ? Remember The angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. This gives us such a crystal clear, laser focused, real life event that reminds you and me that we must be about the tasks that God gives to us and we must use the tools that God gives us and trust Him to take care of the rest. We must be about God's task, using God's tools. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning as we return once again to 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll please take them out now. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And when you've found your place in 1 Peter chapter 2, please stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. 1 Peter Chapter 2, verse 11, this is the word of God. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for giving it to us, for preserving it for us, for speaking the truth through it to us. And so now we ask that you, Spirit of God, would join your word, give us understanding of your truth, and bring change to our lives in accordance with that truth, for we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. So, what is this task to which this one who was miraculously released from prison calls us to under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Well, look at the end of verse 12. There we'll find the task. Peter writes that they, unbelievers, may glorify God on the day of visitation. That's the task, and it's that simple. And it's to bring glory to God. This is the great task. And this is the ultimate goal for every one of us here who seeks to be a devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. God has created us for this task. We are wired for this task of bringing Him glory. And to live contrary to that task, For instance, you and I are living our lives for self-glory or for self-gain. It is going to result in unhappiness and much dysfunction and malfunction and brokenness and dissonance in our lives. Because the glory of God is the great goal to which all earthly human history is moving. And listen to how our history, human history, is going to culminate. Both prophets Isaiah and Habakkuk tell us the same thing. For the earth will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Listen to the prayer of David as he ends his prayers In the book of Psalms, this is how he ends his prayers with this benediction. Blessed be his glorious name forever. And may the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And he shut the book. We have been called to be a part of this great glory movement of God a movement that marches on unstoppably toward a glory end that will really just be a beginning because it's going to extend throughout all eternity. This is why the Westminster Divines made this the very first and arguably the most famous of all catechism questions. We've done it once. Let's do it again. What is man's chief end? There you have it. Easy to say, isn't it? Quick to profess. More difficult to live out. And sometimes difficult to believe. Really? We say? The glory of God in all things? In everything? Yes. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or what ever you do whatever you do do it all to the glory of God so how are we going to spread this glory well i got my first pair of glasses when i was 2 years old i had a lazy eye and i also had very acute astigmatism apparently I couldn't see anything at all, and my mother said that when I got home that first day with my new pair of glasses, I went around the house touching everything and saying, so that's what that looks like, so that's what that looks like, isn't that sad? (laughs) I was so happy, but my mother was devastated to realize how poor my vision had been and how much I had missed out on in my very short life of two years. The glory of God is all around us. But many people don't have eyes to see it unless, unless you and I give them gospel glasses by which they can look at the world. And this is what I mean. Psalm 19, verse 1, tells us this. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork, and that day to day... They pour out speech. But listen, we call that general revelation. And the general revelation of creation isn't enough to fully explain God or to reveal His fullest glory. If God thought that were possible, if He thought the glory of the nature He created would be sufficient to declare his full glory, then we could simply worship nature, hug a tree, like many people do. But God said, that's not enough. Because God had a glory beyond the sun and the moon and the stars and the rainbow and the snow-covered mountains and the crystal-clear blue ocean waters. God had a special revelation for us. A spoken word that enables us to rightly understand all that we see in creation around us. And beyond that, we have an even more special word. The word made flesh, Jesus Christ, the living word of God. So very simply put, Jesus Christ brings the greatest glory to God the good news of who He is explains the what and the why of everything we see around us. 2 Corinthians 1 says, For all the promises of God, all of them, find their yes in Christ. That's why through Christ that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Hebrews 1.3 Christ is the radiance of the glory of God. And so I imagine our task as being one of giving people gospel glasses to put on so they can say, they can look through those lenses and they can see and really understand the world that God created and placed them in. They can look through the gospel lens and say, ah, so this is what life is supposed to look like. Ah, so this is what work is supposed to look like. Ah, this is what marriage is supposed to look like. This is what singleness is supposed to look like. This is what recreation is supposed to look like. This is what parenting is supposed to look like. They can only see it through gospel lenses, and so we have to keep this task always before us. We must show the beautiful, gracious, merciful, compassionate, glory of God through the person of Jesus Christ, the world desperately needs to see it. And in order to accomplish that task, we have to use the tools that God has given us. And what are those tools? We'll look again in verse 12. Because according to this verse, our tools are the way we live our lives and the good deeds that we do. Now, I know that the Protestant alarm starts going off beep, 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 anytime we hear the words good deeds. But this is a very different kind of good deeds than the ones that people are told they must do in order to assuage an angry God. In order to win the favor of God that Christ has already won for us. Or in order to pay the price that Christ has already paid in full. The account is full. There's no room for us to add anything else to it. Thinking of good deeds in those ways. As a payment, it's a perversion of what good deeds are. And it cheapens why they are done. The good deeds that Peter talks about here are simply the way we live our lives before others. The things that we want to do in this world for others because of what Christ has done for us, we hear the Lord speaking in our ears, freely you have received, now freely give. Look in verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, and by that Peter means those who don't yet know Christ. Keep your conduct honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Now these two words, honorable and good, are both the very same word in the Greek. And the definition of that word, the first definition of it, is this. To be good, to be honorable, means to be attractive in outward appearance. Beautiful, handsome, fine in outward appearance. Now, those words, to me, are much more picturesque than just the word good to describe our deeds. In fact, it's the way Jesus used the word just days before his death he was in the home of mary and martha and mary not because she was trying to earn favor from jesus not because she was trying to get jesus to love him more but in her more but instead because she loved him so much she took that expensive alabaster jar filled with expensive ointment and she broke the jar and she emptied the entirety of the contents on Jesus. On his head, it flowed down his entire body to his feet and she wiped his feet with her hair and the fragrance filled the entire room. And Jesus said this about that act. She has done a beautiful thing to me. Same word, not good deed, beautiful thing. And it was beautiful, and it was lavish, but not everyone agreed. In fact, Jesus was moved to proclaim Mary's act beautiful because some of those watching what Mary did said that what she had done wasn't beautiful. They said what she did was wasteful. They were indignant. They said This could have been sold for a large sum of money and given to the poor. Peter was present on that occasion. He observed it all. He heard all the comments. Perhaps he made them himself. And perhaps that's what he has in mind, that event, when he writes verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you, as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Notice the progression of this verse. You are living your life honorably. You're living your life beautifully before unbelievers. But even so, they speak evil against you and your goodness. And your beautiful acts, just like they spoke against Mary's beautiful act. But then watch what happens. Jesus sees your good and beautiful act as he saw Mary's act. And he reinterprets it. That beautiful thing that you do passes through the hands of Jesus. And through the power of his Holy Spirit, he reinterprets those acts for some who see them. For some who have been the recipients of them, so that they then come to glorify God because of them. And so with God's tools, these loving, beautiful, good deeds, God's task is accomplished. And he receives the glory. Peter says here, on the day of visitation. Think about that. On the day that Christ returns, instead of that being a day of dread for those who don't know Christ, instead of that being a day in which when the veil is removed and the truth is displayed, they say, Oh, if only I had believed in the goodness of glory of Christ. Some on that day will be filled with joy to see Christ return because God used our conduct among them and God used our beautiful deeds among them to bring them to faith in Christ. I point this out because sometimes... Or oftentimes these days, I'm concerned with the behavior of believers. I'm concerned by my own behavior and what we do and what we believe when what we do is spoken evil against by our culture. Too often, what we do is lashed back and we get all up in their political grill and we organize and we polarize just like the world when we are called to be other than the world how did peter get out of prison how did the chains fall off of him and the gospel that his enemies sought to bind up and to silence did Peter smuggle leaflets out of prison through the window to organize a demonstration outside the prison? Did he get people to march and say, we want justice, fair and equal treatment? Did they show up with a petition at the governor's palace and demand Peter's release? And I know I'm on thin ice here, but honestly, I answer to the Lord and not to y'all. Did they boycott the market stalls of the Jews that wanted Peter imprisoned? I don't know. But this I do know. The angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. The chains fell off by the power of God and through the prayers of God's people. There was no anger. There was no lashing out. Just simple, beautiful deed of prayer performed by humble, hopeful, devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. I wish that all of us that all devoted disciples of Christ would live this way before the world. President Trump used to talk about draining the swamp of the political world. Sometimes I think we need to drain the swamp in the church. It's gotten muddy and murky. It's become a, a mucky Mangle a mixture of politics and the ways and the weapons of the world, diluting the purity of the refreshing, life giving water of the gospel. I say, Drain the swamp, let the fresh gospel waters flow through. We have the living water, life-giving water. We have the gospel glasses. You and I do. We have them. The world doesn't. They need to hear from us what they'll never hear on CNN or Fox News or from Democrats or from Republicans. They need to see the love among us that they won't find as they march off with some group to tear something down. You and I must focus on the beautiful things that we can do for people. You and I need to intentionally figure out how we can live honorable lives among them. And if those beautiful deeds are rebuffed, guess what? We keep doing them. Peter is just telling us what Jesus told him. When he said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And when we do those beautiful acts, whatever they may be, we do them with a prayer. Lord, let this one Let this one be the one. Use this one to help them see and know Christ and give you the glory. This is how the gospel is set free. This is how the gospel is released into the world. By our beautiful acts done in the name of Jesus. And yes, name the name of Jesus. And for the glory of God, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Your life as a Christian should make non believers question their disbelief in God. Your life as a Christian should make non believers question their disbelief in God. And so our task is clear. We do all things for the glory of God. Our tools are clear by the grace that God lavishes on us through the gospel. Because of our love for Christ, all he's done for us, all he's given to us, we must live beautifully before the world. We must do beautiful things in and for the world so that on the day that Christ returns. Many will give glory to God. Let's pray. Father, help us take up our task, we pray. Help us use the tools you give us. Inspire us. Encourage us. Convict us to live honorable, beautiful lives before all those around us and to do beautiful things for them for the sake of Jesus and for the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.